As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Jen and Cam are two funny ladies who like to talk about murder, mass murder, murder suicide, serial killers spree killers thrill killers contract killings honor killings and a whole lot of other too heinous for me to list here if you're disturbed by this sort of content you may want to listen to something else and if you're a child trying to listen to our true crime podcast well you better ask your mama Hi, Jen. Hey, Cam. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Well, woohoo. Uh, <laughs> I got a story for you today. Oh, I know. You were telling me about it. I don't know if I'm ready, but... Probably not. People are just... Horrible? Just feral? Strange. Strange, not okay people. Nope, and we live not. with them. Weird. <laughs> All right, here we go. You ready? Well, we don't live with them, but we, we live, live among them. amongst them. Yes. 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 All right. Thank gosh, we don't live with them. That'd be terrible. <laughs> that we know, yeah. It's January 9th, 2002 in Oregon City, Oregon. 12-year-old Ashley Pond left her home to walk to the bus stop for Gardner Middle School. Now, Ashley was hurrying as she was going to be late, and boy, we all know that feeling, and would miss the bus. So she started picking up. It was only about 10 minutes from her home, so she started jogging to get to the bus stop. Now, Ashley was popular in school, but what she loved most was dance. She was on one of the school's dance teams named the Fallen Angels. The team would be rehearsing that day for a really big competition they had coming up. Now, since she was late, like I said, she started running. Little did her loved ones know she would never make it to the bus nor arrive at school. Ashley simply disappeared. It's around 6 p.m. that night, and her mother, Lori, was waiting for Ashley to call her and tell her to come pick her up after the rehearsal, her dance rehearsal, was finished. However, that phone did not ring. Worried, but sure there had to be an explanation, 
Lori called the dance coach, who told her that Ashley didn't make it to practice that day. When asked her teammates about Ashley, they all begin to weigh in and they say, you know, we didn't see Ashley all day today. Mm. Lori immediately calls the police to file a missing persons report. Now, of course, you know where we go in with this. Police Mm -hmm. inquire about the possibility of what? Run away. Running away. Lori assured the police that Ashley would never run away. Never. Police come to the apartment building and they want to look around Ashley's room to see if there's any indication of where she went. And that, that would be like, you know, taking her possessions that she treasured with her. That's what they were looking for. It becomes pretty obvious after they're looking around that all of Ashley's things that she loved the most, her hairbrush, her lip gloss, all that stuff that a young girl would like, were still in her room. They were sitting right where she had left them. And this indicated she probably did not run away. Police know that the last place she was seen was in her home that morning. They need to walk her route to see if they find anything. The apartment the family shared is situated in a, basically it's kind of in um, a bunch of trees. I wouldn't say a forest because it's in a town, but it's, right. you know, it's shaded by a bunch of trees, a I guess. A wooded area. There maybe? you go. Yes. I just preferred bunch of trees, but okay. your sounds, your sounds <clears throat> better. Sometimes kids, as they do, would use a trail or a shortcut to get through the woods to the bus stop. Authorities travel the path looking for signs that Ashley was once there, but sadly, they don't find anything. And I think what they were really looking for is possibly a sign of an abduction, maybe like her book bags, her purse, things like that, backpack on the ground, and there was mm-hmm. nothing. It was as if she never went through those woods, which is good. You don't want to find that. Well, you just want to find her. Yes. Police next set out to talk to some of the students that were on the bus that morning, and they learned that not only was she not on the bus that morning, no one even saw her prior to the bus stop. So she wasn't at the bus stop with other kids. No one saw her walking to the bus stop. Nobody even saw her, period. This is quite alarming. It's like she just vanished. With not much to go on, investigators look at Ashley's family, which is pretty standard, namely her mother and her biological father, Wesley. Now, Lori tells police that she and Ashley didn't always get along well. In fact, on a few occasions, police were called to the apartment as the pair were having some heated arguments. During her initial interview, Lori told police that she had witnessed Ashley leave the home. This time, however, she admits that while she heard Ashley yell, Bye, I love you, Lori didn't actually see her leave. She didn't physically see her leave. She heard what she thought was her leaving but she didn't actually watch her walk out the door. Now, Lori assures them that the relationship was just a normal mother-daughter one with fights thrown in the mix once in a while. We can relate to that with teen daughters. (laughs) And being a teen myself, yes. Police want Lori to take a lie detector test, which she does, and of course, she passes with flying colors. At this point, Lori tells officers... She believes Ashley's father, Wesley, is capable of doing something to Ashley. And his police record, well, mm, it's quite long, including some charges of sexual assault. Mm. And that would be sexual assault of his daughter, Ashley. Mm. Lord have mercy. Ashley has confessed to her sister and her mother that Wesley had been molesting her. Wesley was charged with 39 counts of sexual abuse and sodomy in the year of 2001. Ashley would recant her accusations, and Wesley would eventually plead no contest to just one count of sexual abuse, 
and he was sentenced to only six months of probation. Also, a no-contact order was placed. Thank goodness. Well, at least there's that. Authorities locate Wesley and ask him to come in for an interview. Wesley's open to questions, and he tells officers that he did abuse Ashley. But the morning that she went missing, he was having breakfast with his father at a restaurant in a nearby town. After they ate, he would say, they returned home, and Wesley fixed his vehicle for most of the day. Now, Wesley's father confirmed his alibi, as well as the restaurant in which they were eating. Lori had a boyfriend at this time, and his name was James. James was brought in and interviewed, and he was pretty much immediately ruled out. James had moved in with Lori and the girls, which was nice, since Lori was pregnant. They were going to be having a baby, James and Lori. Now, the family all really liked James, and he was believed to be a very good influence on the young girls. I, I believe that's why the police ruled him out so quickly. From By all standards and from the people they talked to, he was really upset about this, but also he was just, he was a good role model for the kids, the girls. Getting desperate with little to no information coming in, the FBI is called in to assist. The agents start with the apartment complex and talk to any and all of the residents. Hmm. They also learn, Jen, that Uh over a hundred, a hundred, that's a one zero zero, sexual offenders live in and around the apartment complex. Hmm. Say what? That's a lot. Now, while they can't determine if someone from the complex was involved, they can't rule them out either. It's always somebody around you. A long process. Holy moly. (laughs) Ashley's disappearance had shaken up Oregon City and the community, but the ones most upset are Ashley's dance teammates. That had to be terribly traumatic for all involved, being that young middle school age. Oh, yeah, definitely. When your your friends goes missing, of course it does. Her good friend, Miranda Gaddis, wants to help find Ashley, and she sets out to do so. Miranda's mom and Ashley's mom were good friends and often found themselves neighbors, so the families were very close. Both women were single mothers, raising children on their own, so they had a lot in common, not to mention that they had more than once lived in the same apartment complex and then moved and then would once again find themselves neighbors. Miranda and the other dancers decided that they wanted to hold a dance competition and charge admission. I think that's cute. That's good. (laughs) The money they raised would be used for a reward, and the contest would get the word out about Ashley. The FBI would donate $50,000 to the reward fund as well. The total reward would equal $60,000 for information about what happened to Ashley. The community is busy trying to find not only what happened to Ashley, but where she went. When they're busy doing all this, Jen, the truly unthinkable happened. On March 8th, 2002, Ashley's good friend and teammate, 13-year-old Miranda Gaddis, disappeared. The town was in shock and fearful for all their children. There was a predator among them, and they needed to find him before yet another girl went missing. Just like Ashley, Miranda had suffered some abuse as a young child. Her mother's boyfriend physically and sexually abused Miranda. The children were all removed from the home and placed into foster care. Early in 2002, the children were returned to the home. It was early on that March morning that the family were all getting ready to start their day. At 7.30, Mother Michelle left for work, and when she returned home in the afternoon, Miranda was not home. After making some phone calls, they learned that just like Ashley, Miranda 
never made it to school that day. Just like Ashley, there is not a crime scene that would indicate harm came to her or that she was abducted. The two girls lived in the same complex, rode the same bus, and went to the same school, and were both on the dance team. Hmm. Police and agents swarmed to the area yet again, desperate to locate the girls. Posters, flyers, billboards go up all around the area. Police set up roadblocks to question motorists. Investigators canvassed the area once again, knocking on doors and looking for clues. One such house belonged to a man named Ward Weaver. The house was located next to the bus stop. It was kind of um, on the corner. His house was a corner lot and the bus stop was right there. And Ward had two teenage sons and a middle schooler named Mallory who attended the same school as the missing girls. Mallory was a popular girl who often had friends over. Her house was kind of like the cool house everybody wanted to be at. Mm-hmm, um, like mine. Revolving <laughs> door. Yeah, exactly. You have kids over all the time. Mine, mine was always only cool because my parents were never home. Well, I, I meant now with your girls. Yeah. They, oh, they get yeah. to have friends over. Oh, yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah. You got to have friends over whether your parents knew it or not. <laughs> exactly. Her Which father, Ward, was good to the neighborhood kids, and he was well-liked by all of them. You know, he's the, he's the cool dad. I'm not like the other dads. I'm the cool dad. Authorities are hopeful that he can provide some insight about what is going on around the neighborhood. Police asked him if he had any thoughts on the girls. He said he knew both and believed Ashley probably ran away. He didn't, wow. offer, any, mm-hmm, he didn't offer any information about Miranda, but did say that on the day of each disappearance, he was at work. Police ask if they can look around the house, and he complies. They search the house and backyard and see nothing out of the ordinary. Two young men come into the investigator's sites. The boys, who lived in the apartment complex, had developed quite the reputation around the neighborhood for trying to hang out with young girls. And by young, I mean, you know, 12 and 13, and they're like 19. They would often sit on the bench and say suggestive things to the girls that they should not be doing, like ever. Uh, One such statement was made at a vigil for the girls when one of them said to the other, they didn't want to be caught up in the investigation. Hmm, not exactly an admission, but bizarre nonetheless. I wouldn't think you would be caught up in it if you had nothing to do with it. Both the men are brought into the station and given a polygraph, and both of the men pass. Even after searching their apartments, they find nothing. Both men are eliminated. Time is passing, and authorities are getting anxious. They need a break, and it is about to come into police from an unlikely source. It seems that Mallory Weaver and Ashley had been at odds with each other and were publicly fighting at school and even at dance practice. Now, the reason for their arguing is centered on Ward Weaver. Oh. Ashley had stated to police that Ward had tried to rape her. But the allegation? Jen, it was never thoroughly investigated by police. Jesus, really? Just kind of dropped the ball on that one. This allegation put a divide among the girls on the dance team. Some believed Ashley, and some thought it was not true, and sided with Mallory. Now, you have to remember Ward and Mallory's house. It was the cool place to hang out. Everybody wanted to go there. And, you know, I'm kind of guessing that some of the girls didn't want to lose that. That was if they had strict parents, they knew Mallory, they knew it was a safe place to be, and they didn't, you know how it is, and especially teen girls, they always pick a side. Really? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Miranda was one of the girls who not only believed Ashley, but she often stuck up for Ashley. Makes me wonder if she went through the same problems. Mm -hmm. Same incident? Yep. 
Now, Ward Weaver was brought into the police station in May 2002, and he was asked to take a lie detector test. Jen, he failed it miserably. It seems police need to take a deeper look into Ward Weaver. They reach out to his ex-wife and learn that Ward was not the nicest guy. In fact, he had a little bit, or let's say a lot of bit, of an anger problem that often led to violence. But that was not all. Let's get into the back history of it, shall we, Jen? Shall we? Of Ward Weaver? We shall. Ward Francis Weaver III was born on April 6th, 1963, to Ward Weaver Jr. and Mother Trish in Humboldt County, which is located in Northern California. Now, there's a lot of words going on here, and then there's a Francis we're going to get to meet later. So you get, just kind of stay with me on that. So this is Ward the Third who this is being the third. His father was Ward Junior, Junior. and then his okay. grandpa was Ward Senior, and then Ward the Third's son is named Francis, which mm. is Ward's middle name. I know it's confusing. Ward Weaver's father had abandoned the family in 1967, and things only got worse when his mother married an alcoholic who frequently abused the family. The family would then move to Portland, Oregon. Ward's sister came out and she said that as a teen, she knew Ward abused, both sexually and physically, at least one of their close family members. I think it was a cousin, by the way, but I'm not sure on that. Ward was only 12 years old at this time. During that assault, he was only 12 years old. His little brother claimed that Ward beat him up often, tortured him, kind of scared him. Right after all this comes to light with him... Mm, abusing the neighborhood children and friends and family at age 12. When he was young, yeah. Mm -hmm. More allegations start. Was he abused maybe? Because it seems Um, like that would be... You'll see. Wait till the end of the story, Jen. All right. This is a, uh, what do you call it? An enigma and a paradox and plethora Mm -hmm. box. I don't know. There's a lot going on. After the 12-year-old, after this all came out with his uh, assaulting his cousin, our family member, Another family member had alleged in 1981, Ward had raped and beaten her repeatedly. Police investigated, but decided not to file charges since Weaver had become, what? An enlisted man. And he would soon be leaving the area. Nice, right? Mm -hmm. Now he's somebody else's problem. Not cool, police. Not Not cool. Not cool at all. Well, of course, that enlistment wouldn't last long, Jen. Ward was kicked out of the Navy only a year after being enlisted for, which I didn't even know you could get kicked out for this, heavy drinking and not doing his job. Now, not doing his job, I could see, but heavy drinking. Mm. But I guess they go hand in hand now, don't they? He did, however, meet his first wife, Maria, who was from the Philippines while he was enlisted. The couple would marry and Maria would become pregnant. Ward then beat the five-month pregnant Maria so severely that she had to be in the hospital for several days. Yet. She never filed charges against him for the assault. She was five months pregnant and he beat her. Lord have mercy. That's a particular kind of low. Particular. That's a particular kind of low, if you ask me. After the baby was born, it was determined that he was not the father of the child, but she would have another child just seven years later by Ward. Soon after the birth of their daughter, the family of four now moved in with friends. This would end very badly. Seems Ward got drunk one night and attacked the the family that let them move in, his friends. Mm -hmm. He attacked their teen daughter. She was only 15 years old when he violently beat her with a concrete block in the head. This is his friends, his family. 
I mean, this is his, this is a family whom he's friends with that let them move in and he beats their daughter. Yeah, he doesn't care. Ward was sentenced to three years in prison for the assault. After he was released, Maria would welcome their fourth child, Mallory. But in 1993, things took a turn. Maria left her husband and would divorce him. Which is good. Well, finally, but... I was not going to say that because, you know, but yes. Ward soon meets another woman by the name of Christy. And once again, he beats her severely with an iron skillet. And once again, she refuses to testify against him. The pair would marry, but the union would only last four years. In 1997, Ward began dating a woman, and the couple moved into a house in Oregon City. It is here that his daughter Mallory became friends with Ashley and Miranda while attending the same middle school and on the same dance team. Ward is now being considered the prime suspect, and police need to get more on him before they can move in. Before they even get the chance, Ward does something that is, well, all I can say is truly odd and, well, extremely narcissistic. Mm. Can't make this stuff up. Ward invites a television station anchor from KATU to his home for a sit-down interview to talk about Ashley and Miranda. Of course she does, because he's a narcissist. Yep. Anna Song was the anchor, and she would go to his home to conduct the interview. His interview is strange at best. When Anna arrives, he's showing her around the house, and he jokingly mocks that she can hardly step a foot on the floor without stepping on a body. Not funny. Not funny when two little girls are missing and you're the prime suspect. He mentions that Ashley had accused him of attempted rape and that Miranda often came over to see his daughter, Mallory. Now, he mentioned this without being prompted. This was like, oh, you know, Ashley accused me of rape. Oh, and Miranda often came over to see my daughter. He also talked about his family history and the violence within, claiming that authorities only think he did this because, and here you go, Jen, his father was a brutal killer too, which we'll get into in just a minute. Just like a true narcissist, He said he had nothing to hide and was okay with being investigated. Now, he's not happy about it, that the FBI's in it, because they wouldn't talk to his children without checking Mm. with him first. Personally, I think he liked the attention. Oh, he loved the attention. That's Mm. He's a narcissist. That's what they do. Now, the most chilling thing is this this part. When they're doing the walk and talk, which you do, uh, he took Anna Song outside into the backyard and chatted, and they walked on this brand- newly poured concrete pad in the backyard. Huh, that's strange. Mm -hmm. To fulfill his need to keep his name in the papers and on TV, he would continually call them and tell them things, such as, the police think I did this and I did not. You want to interview me? This is him. This is what he does. Now remember, both those young girls were already dead and just feet away. He loved seeing himself out there, even going on Good Morning America Blasting Ashley's mom as a, quote, irresponsible parent, end quote. Mm. Such a fine, upstanding person. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As investigators debate what they should do, you know, they can't, they can't get into his house when he's there. They can't. So they're kind of panicking about it. He, he had mentioned to some friends that all of this was getting too much for him, all the FBI and the police. And, you know, maybe he's, he's thinking about moving away back to California. So police are <laughs> they're kind of panicking because they're like, okay, that's good. Because if he does, we can get in that house and, and search that ground. No problem. But if he does, we might lose him forever. So this, they're kind of debating, what should we do? Um, how are we going to handle this? Well, guess what? A 911 call comes in and changes it all, changes the whole investigation on August 13th, 2002. The caller is Ward Weaver's teenage son's girlfriend. She is crying, and she tells them that Ward Weaver just attacked her. The young teen escaped naked from the home oh, and grabbed geez. a plastic tarp. There was a plastic tarp on the front uh, like front stoop of the house. So she grabbed that and she was running, screaming through the neighborhood. Thank goodness she made it out into a road and she managed to flag down a passerby who stopped and got her, took her away from the scene safely. And then she was able to call police and tell them what happened. She would tell them that Ward attacked her and held his hand over her mouth and raped her. She was panicked, panicked. You could hear it in her voice. I listened to the 911 call. And she was like, he's going to get me. He's going to come after me. He's going to get me. Now, this was his son, Francis, who was dating this young lady. This is just what they needed. A manhunt kicks off looking for Ward throughout the state of Oregon. It only took a bit of time for Ward Weaver's luck to run out. Thank goodness. Police pull him over and arrest him. He is taken into custody. While Ward Weaver is sitting in jail, yet another 911 phone call comes in. This time, it's from Ward's son named Francis. Now, Francis is the one that dated that young, the young girl that we just spoke of. He has a bit, or, well, I guess I should say a lot to get off his chest. Ward's son, Francis, tells the dispatch that he knows what happened to Ashley and Miranda. He informs yeah. police that it was his father who abducted, raped, and murdered those sweet little girls. With this information, police are able to now get a search warrant and get on Ward Weaver's property to see if their suspicions about that newly erected concrete pad would hold the answers they so desperately needed. Of course it would. Total Fred West there, right? Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, and it's a little closer to home, but we'll get to that in a second. As authorities move in, the area is closed off. A cadaver dog is brought in, and he makes a beeline for the shed in the backyard. 
it's like an old, it's not even really like a shed. It's not an outhouse either, but it's like a, it's a structure. Let's go with that. Because when I think shed, I think like something kind of nice and it's not, it does, it did not look that nice. The minute police opened the shed door, they were hit with the oh-so-familiar smell of decay. Located inside was a box that held a decomposed body. The box was taken into custody and sent to the medical examiners, where it was confirmed to be Miranda Gaddis. Authorities know it is only a matter of time before they will find Ashley. Equipment is brought in to see if they can locate anything under that concrete slab, and they begin to break it apart which is where they located three barrels, one of which contained Ashley Pond's body. Now, the condition of her body hinted that Ashley had been frozen prior to being placed in that barrel, um, that she had not been in that barrel since she had died. Uh, A freezer on site near the shed would later confirm that because when they opened the freezer, they could smell that as well. I mean, they could smell the, you know, Mm -hmm. decomposition. Ward Weaver was charged with two counts of aggravated murder for Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis, an attempted murder and rape of his son's girlfriend. Autopsies on the bodies could not indicate where or when they were killed. Police believe that Ward Weaver was angry that Ashley accused him of attacking her. On the day she disappeared, he saw her racing to the bus and he took her. Her house was located by the bus stop, making it easy to do. Or they guess that maybe she swung by there to see Mallory and he saw his opportunity and took her. But like I said, his house was right at that bus stop. You, you mm-hmm. could look out the window and see the bus and Miranda. While police aren't really quite sure why Miranda was killed, they tend to believe that perhaps Miranda witnessed Ward putting Ashley's body in that drum. Remember, she was frozen for a while. And on the way that she on the way to school that Miranda was taking that day she actually witnessed Ward putting Ashley's body in there and in order to make sure she wouldn't tell then he then had to kill her too Ward Weaver's defense wanted the trial moved to another county fearful that they would not be given a fair trial but the judge refused thank you like so many do Weaver agreed to plead guilty to the murders if what happened Jen what happened what happens all the time with these guys Plead guilties if he's not given the death penalty. Thank you. If the death penalty was taken off the table. Mm -hmm. And after he received a letter from his daughter, Mallory, asking, quote, Daddy, make it stop. At first, Ward claimed he was not responsible for these murders, and he wanted the state to dismiss all the charges of rape and attempted murder of his son's girlfriend as well. Oh, and also all the sex abuse of a child. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. He just wants that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm Mm-hmm. In the end, he would end up pleading no contest to these charges. During the sentencing, Ward stood shackled and held a picture of his daughter, Mallory. Ward continued to still deny he was involved, even when the girls' bodies were recovered, claiming that he knew who killed those girls. Jen, he knew who killed those girls. Oh, did he? Mm Mm-hmm. Because he had the documents, but prosecutors wouldn't even look at them. They refused to consider that somebody else was involved. But those documents, Jen... Uh-huh. They would prove that the girls were killed by a motorcycle club and other drug dealers. Oh. And just buried him. Just blamed yeah. her on him. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Uh-huh. Even the prosecutor said the case against Weaver was circumstantial, but it did not matter as he was sure the jury would do the right thing and convict him. When Ward couldn't keep his mouth shut to the press, granting interviews to the media when all this is going on. It, hello? <laughs> But the judge put a gag order on the case. 
To make matters worse, Ward's own defense team asked the judge to release them as counsel because Ward decided that he was no longer going to talk to them. The request was denied, so then the lawyers filed a motion claiming Weaver was mentally unfit to stand trial. Ward was then sent to the Oregon State Hospital for evaluation. His lawyers would withdraw the motion when he returned. Ward, uh, he, he didn't look so good when he got back, but he, he was proved so. fit to stand <laughs> trial. Yeah. Yeah. Ward was sentenced to two life sentences without parole, where he is serving his time out at the Two Rivers Correctional Institution in Oregon. Governor John Kitzhaber, at this time, launched a multi-agency investigation in 2002 looking into just why the authorities never investigated the first report of Ashley's attack from Ward. They just didn't, they, I don't know. March 4th, 2007. I wonder, and I've did, often did he know anybody on the force? Is that maybe why? I don't know. I think maybe just small town kids. I, I don't know. I can't tell you. Yeah, I don't know. but. I know. <sighs> and um, I've often wondered about this in my head and this, I got my answer right here. On March 4th, 2007, Ward was stabbed in prison by the barber mm-hmm. when he was getting a haircut. Aw, that's a I shame. I wondered, like, who, who they give scissors to in there, but I guess we know now. Uh, he did sustain injuries to his head, neck, and shoulders. That's a shame. Now, you'd think the story ends here, Jen, but it doesn't. You see, violence seems to run deep in this family. It was 20 years before Ward would commit his heinous acts on Ashley and Miranda that police would find the body of a raped and murdered woman buried in Ward's father's backyard, Ward Weaver Jr. Really? Yeah, you want him buried in the so backyard? So he wasn't, Sound so a he wasn't familiar, lying. does it? Yeah. Prior to that discovery, Ward Jr. did time for a 1978 rape, and then again in 1981, he was sentenced to 42 years after he picked up two hitchhikers, having the friend having a friend kill the 18-year-old man. And then he raped the girl who was only 15 that was the 18-year-old's companion. Thankfully, he let her survive. When Ward Jr. was doing his time for this this crime, the um, rape and murder of the ones I just spoke of, he confessed to his cellie that he had also killed a couple. In 1981, Ward Jr. was a truck driver in California. He said that he saw a couple whose car had broke down. This is like nightmare fuel right here. This is what Mm -hmm. I always worry about. He saw a couple whose car had broke down. He pulled over to assist them. The 18-year-old Robert Radford and his 23-year-old girlfriend, Barbara Lavoie, had no idea that this seemingly good Samaritan was a monster. Ward Weaver Jr. would kill Robert, abduct, rape, and then kill Barbara, and bury her under his deck in the backyard of his California home. What's worse is that uh, he had his son help bury her. Mm. Mm -hmm. Ward Weaver Jr. was sentenced to death, and the 78-year-old is serving time at San Quentin. Today, I checked. What is truly devastating about all this, Jen, is that the authorities believe, and I've never heard of this guy, so now, of course, I have to go down that rabbit hole, but they believe that he may be responsible for more than 25 murders, but he's never been charged. Wow. Yeah, they tracked his truck and the path that he would take, and it links him to many of these still unsolved deaths. Most of these people were hitchhikers, runaways, or sex workers. 
Now, again, Jen, you'd think that's it, but it's not. Mm -mm. Just when I thought I was done with the story. Nope, I just looked it up, and I know what you're going to say, so go ahead. With his grandfather sitting on death row and his father serving life in Oregon, Francis Ward was charged in Oregon with murder. Francis, along with two of his friends, I would say friends, maybe they were just accomplices, I'm not sure, attempted to rob a drug dealer of 15 pounds of weed, and the dealer ended up losing his life. Francis is serving time at the Eastern Oregon Correctional Institute, and the soonest parole could happen is on October 16th, 2030. And that is the story of poor Ashley and Miranda. Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. Senseless. He should have been locked away a long time ago and and stayed there. Well, uh, four generations back, obviously, it needs to... uh, should have been stopped a long time ago. Yes, it should have. Wow. Sad. You know, little girls. And Terrible. he was just so you gotta go look up the videos of him on those TV interviews. I don't He's know so schmarmy. Yeah, I don't know if I can shmarmy, stomach it. Schmarmy. No, don't. Shmarmy. You, you can hardly walk in here without stepping on a potty. Like you're the prime suspect and two little girls are missing. That's not funny. It's not that's not that's never funny. So, and then walking her out on that concrete slab, if that wasn't just a, like, a... That was his ego taking over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> terrible. Terrible and person. inside, he was... Uh, probably excited him to know No, he was. I'm sure he was. And it was sort of like the F you, look at me. Look right. at me, and you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So, and then, like... And I know this happens so much, and that's because they're sick. And normal people aren't sick, and that's why it happens, but... If you're the prime suspect in those two murders, he, he just could not contain himself. He, he tried to attack his son. His son, whom he loved, right? Supposedly, yeah. You would think. His anyway. girlfriend. You know, that's just, it's almost like you're almost asking to be caught, I guess. I don't know. It's that thrill of mm-hmm. I telling guess. everybody, but not really telling them. And but he would have killed her. Then guess. how would you explain that? Like your yeah. son's girlfriend just disappeared. And there's right. one guy that's connected to all three of them. Mm-hmm. But he pushing the envelope. That's what he wants to do. Terrible people. There's terrible people He's, in the world. There's that's big. why I just... Mm, so have you watched anything good lately? I started... It's It's been raked over the coals, but last night I started the... Um, let me bring it up here. Uh, it's I think it's called Devil in... Ohio. Ohio. I, went, I finished it yesterday. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> That's what I, I started that last night. Yep, I started it last night I, with Emily It was, it was entertaining. A little, little cheesy, but it was very cheesy. And of course, I'm walk, watching it, and my husband's like, "I, I can't understand why you watch this kind of stuff." And then he's like, "Oh yeah, I, okay, I can watch this. You kind of get into it. I can watch know. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 47 minute episodes, so it's pretty easy yeah, to like. It's. Yeah. I think I'm, we only got to like the third episode. Yeah. And well, when, it gets well, then you're, it takes a turn. Yeah. But I won't tell you. Yeah. But yeah. So that, right. I was just going to tell you I watched that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I just, there was something, there was nothing else on. I did watch, thanks to a listener inside the world's toughest prisons, thanks to a listener by the name of Mercedes. Uh, she Instagram or she sent a message over Instagram saying that um, inside the world's toughest prisons, season five, episode one. The host of the show spent time with the number gang from South Africa. And so I watched that a little bit. And they're really scary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. 
I'm not going to admit scary. that I've seen every episode of that series. Mm-hmm. But yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually use one of the episodes in um, class to illustrate how different prison systems are around the world. Oh, yeah. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the actual gangs and their belief and everything. Just, it's pretty scary. That even got my husband's attention, too. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, Mercedes, for the um, insight you, to that episode. You sure don't want to get in trouble in a different country. Tell well, you that. especially if you're going to be put with the people of the numbers gang, because they really do not care. Like, one, say, somebody from the 27th gang punched somebody from the 28th gang and blood like they were saying punched him in the nose and so blood came out of the nose it was the to make amends they had to draw blood from a guard what <laughs> totally and i'm like why would anybody want to be a guard in this prison uh-uh. at all yeah and they're like it, it's I who would want to be a guard at any prison that'd I be know. a tough job it no, be, thanks. It's not for me. That's and for to always sure. be on. Like, you know, sometimes at work, you kind of have a moment where you kind of, you know, you kind of daydream or drift off. Uh-uh. Yeah, can't nope. do it. Mm-mm, can't let not your guard there. down. As, as a guard, you can't let your guard down. No. It was, it's just creepy. I would totally suggest that you go watch that to understand a little bit more from the last episode with Hannah Cornelius. And then you can get an insight more of the men that murdered her and... Pretty much destroyed Cheslin's Marsh's life. I don't, but, you know, uh, and I don't mean this to seem shallow in the least, but a lot of times, if our listeners know, we don't tell each other what cases we do. So when Jen did that case, I had no idea who they were. I didn't know anything about it. And then after I got off, after we got off recording, I looked her up and I sent Jen a note, and I was just like, she was so pretty. Not that it matters, it doesn't, and I don't mean that. It was just the whole point is that. I don't, it's hard when you put a face to a crime. And maybe I prefer not to know that. I don't know. Do you see what I'm trying to say, though? Mm-hmm. Like, it was, I just was like, I don't know. I, I, it was just terrible. Yes, everybody, I, Cordy, there's a song, Everybody's Beautiful in Their Own Way. Everybody beautiful in their own way. That, but when you looked at pictures of Hannah Cornelius, she's mm-hmm. breathtaking. She is. Like, you don't expect and like even all- the s- snapshots, mm-hmm. you know, where most people would look crappy. She's Adorable. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I do, again, I don't mean to be shallow because I believe me, I am shallow, but that's not why. Um, I just it kind of shook me because I didn't I didn't. Yeah, yeah I didn't look her up before or anything, because like I said, we never know what we're going to do until we do it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Just the whole thing. And then this with four generations of perverts. It kind of goes along with the Army Hammer doc. Mm -hmm. Yep, sure does. Did you finish that? Was that a doozy or what? I did. I did. The only thing that I really found interesting was uh, about his grandfather or great-grandfather. Or I don't know. That's another one that gets... um, That he was a crook? Yeah, just like the whole history of that. I mean, to me, everything else is uh, he was a creep his sexual preferences all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and it does go beyond the bizarre mm-hmm. um so that it was just like uh it's like dirty laundry do we want to hear about that and then you find out that it goes deeper into oh, yeah. his family and then what a crook his f- grandfather was mm-hmm. and total assholery that 
asshole went to it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So that, to me, was more interesting than Army's sexual preferences and fetishes. That was well, just kind of like, eh, it happens. My, my, two, two Not things. that I want. <laughs> oh, two yeah. things. Mark my words. He's going to make a comeback. Hollywood oh, he loves will. a comeback. And number mm-hmm. two, my coworker that I work with, and we've talked about this at length because... I guess when you when you're army hammer and you've been uh, you've had a silver spoon in your mouth your whole life you can have or do anything you want at any time what thrills you anymore right mm-hmm. and I said that because I was like I just don't understand why these celebrities throw things away I I don't know I just don't get it and then my friend was like because they can have them every so they're looking for that thrill and especially as an actor. You like that thrill, that that love that you get for being on stage or on mm-hmm. film. And so I understand it. I just don't get it. Well, and my husband was like, why doesn't he even why doesn't he just hire somebody to do all that? That's not the thrill, though. It's the I thrill know the thrill of getting to somebody power. to do it. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. That's where exactly your bruise is like a badge of honor. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Getting them. to, and, and I think that was part of his thrill because he purposely picked women that were innocent in that area so mm-hmm. that he could train them and be their perfect little pet as he said yeah yep anyway but no that wasn't as bad as like to me that was just like okay okay let's get to like the really good stuff because i don't care what goes on to people's bedrooms i really don't but like i said the grandfather stuff was more Mm -hmm. interesting to me than his stuff i don't know what that says about me but that's just (laughs) you know i couldn't have cared less about that stuff so I love that kind of stuff. You know that. I know. I know you do. Gossipy kind of stuff. I know. But I other do. than that, I haven't. We've been busy with all of our things that we've been doing lately. Banish skins. Did you get it? Banish like shenanigans. But <laughs> oh, ban- shenanigans. Ban- yes. Banana skins. Yeah, with all the uh, things. I mean, I barely. And then coming back home, it's been so freaking busy with school starting up and everything. We haven't mm-hmm. had a moment to breathe. Yeah. Hopefully things will start to settle down and I can start watching TV and reading some books again. That'll be nice. It won't, though. Probably uh, uh, not. Shush. Not until you get a driver. That helps a lot. Oh, Then we get two drivers, October, you're not going to know what to do with all your free time. October is going to be a mess. Every weekend I have booked, like, mm-hmm. already. Like, nope. completely booked. I don't have one free weekend in October. Not even your birthday weekend? No. I'll be on a band thing on my birthday weekend. Yep. Yikes. So mm-hmm. right. I will be in some hotel somewhere. <laughs> okay. And not, yeah, for bands. I'm not going to ask you about that. That's your own yeah. private business. It is. All right, Jen. Well, I think that probably wraps that us is. up. And uh, so, till we talk to you next time, remember lock your doors and keep passing by those open windows. Uh, bye bye. Love ya. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Cam. For more information about this episode, as well as all the sources I used, please check out our show notes or the podcast website at ourtruecrimepodcast.com. Our True Crime Podcast is developed and created by hosts Jen and Cam. Original music and audio mix of all our True Crime Podcast episodes is courtesy of Nico Vertese from We Talk of Dreams. Listener discretion is provided by Edward October from October Pod VHS. Our True Crime Podcast is executive produced by Nico Vertese and Dick Bain. Make sure to like and subscribe to Our True Crime Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. 
We can be reached on Instagram and Facebook at Our True Crime Podcast or on Twitter at Our True Crime Pod. You can email us at Our True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. If you really like the show, make sure to check out our Patreon at Our True Crime Podcast. Our True Crime Podcast is an OTC production. Mm-hmm.